Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. <laughs> oh, well, actually, every knee shall bow. Maybe we ought to. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 19, verse 28 through 44. After Jesus had said this, he continued on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now when he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say, The Lord needs it. (laughs) I'm going to use that. So those who were sent ahead found it exactly as he had told them as they were untying the coat. Its owners asked them, why are you untying that coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and had Jesus get on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as he approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they keep silent the very stones will cry out. Now when Jesus approached and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you had only known on this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and surround you and close in on you from every side. They will demolish you, you and your children within your walls, and they will not leave within you one stone on top of another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Let's pray. Lord, God, let us recognize the time. God, let us be aware of the season that we are in. God, let us be aware of the grace that is on our life to bring us into a position to bow a knee and submit ourselves to you and receive you as our king. Lord, as you ride into this place today, God, let us not come with our own agendas, our own motives, our own ways that we would try to presuppose onto you, but God, we let you, the king, presuppose onto us your agenda. And do what you want to do in us. God, let us be a people that bring in your presence anywhere that we go. God, let us not be caught up in ritual and routine. But God, let us be open to the new thing that you want to do. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. And amen. Give somebody a high five. Tell them you love them. Amen. Amen. Good to see everybody. We are diving right in. This is Palm Sunday. Um, If you didn't know, this is the Sunday before Easter, which we'll be celebrating next Sunday. But Palm Sunday kicks off this special week called Passion Week. It's the week of last week of Jesus' life. And it's super important because just about a third of your New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, take up a third of of the Gospels of just the last week of his life. So this last week is super, super important. Lots to say, lots to say in the Gospels. The Gospels are very concise in how they deal with Jesus' life. So they really hone in on this last week. And so what we're going to do this last week leading up to Easter, we're really going to hone in on these last weeks, this last week of Jesus' life and His work into leading up to the cross and to the resurrection. So that's kind of really what we're going to be talking about is what kind of kicked this off. Now, when it comes to Jesus... Has Jesus ever done something that you didn't expect him to do? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the problem that happens with the church is that we get these preconceived notions about God, right? And then we expect God to do one thing, but then he does the complete opposite and does the other. So there's this shift that's beginning to happen, and it starts here in Palm Sunday. Now, if you're tracking the Gospels in, in the book of Matthew, and so we're going to overlay kind of the book of Matthew and the book of Luke today from the text that we read and kind of overlay these two accounts because they each capture something a little different. Um, but when you look at the, these accounts here, it really kind of starts in Acts 16 where Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and he takes his disciples there. And they begin to start... Each chapter begins to start their way down into Jerusalem, which would kick off what we'd call Holy Week or Passion Week, where Jesus would then culminate to the cross and then on to the resurrection. So we're catching the tail end of this road trip that Jesus and his disciples have been on. Now, as this road trip has started, Jesus has been very clear about the plan that he has. But how many of you know, even when Jesus says something to you clear, if your heart and ears aren't ready, you'll hear something different, right? And so this is where Jesus is trying to make it really clear. He doesn't want them to be caught off guard. He wants them to understand his plan. And I want to tell you that that's what Jesus wants for your life. Jesus doesn't want you to be in the dark. Jesus wants you to be tracking with him, hearing him, and he wants you to be positioning yourself to bear the presence of God, to bear the weight of God, to bear the weight of God's glory, where you're not in the dark on everything. So Jesus has been real clear as he started this descent downwards that he is going to be handed in the hands of sinful men. He was going to be murdered. It's going to look very tragic. But in the third day, he's going to raise from the dead. He's going to defeat death. And he's going to really just defeat the enemy and everything else that would be counter to the plan and the kingdom of God. That God is very clear here on what his plan is going to do. But every time his disciples hear it, They either ignore him (laughs) or they try to talk him out of it. But how many of you know that Jesus' plan, Jesus is going to go on with his plan whether you like it or not. See, I'm afraid that in the church what happens is we try to make God into our image. We try to make God into what we would have him to be. 
But God didn't, we don't make God into our image. God makes us into His. And He fits us to His purpose. It's the whole thing about Him being King, is that unless you receive Him as King, you've actually received Him as nothing. Because if you just take these bits of things that you like about Jesus and then reject the bits you don't like, you're fashioning a Jesus that's after your own image, not the image that he appears to be to you in your life. And so this is kind of what happens. So they're starting this road trip. They're coming down. Jesus keeps saying that I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be, but I'm going to raise from the dead. Don't worry about it. I need you guys to be locked in and be focused. And they're either like, mm-hmm, uh, oh yeah, hey, when you go into the kingdom, which, uh, which, one, are gonna, which one of us are going to be sitting with you when, uh, when you go into your kingdom? And he's like, these guys here, uh, it's a head scratcher all the time for Jesus. And at one point in Matthew 16, that, that G- Peter gets so bold, he sits Jesus down and tries to tell him a better way. You ever try to tell God a better way for your life and that, that you knew better? And this is what happens in Matthew 16. Peter hits a home run. He hears the voice of God. And Jesus is shocked. Jesus confronts the disciples and said, who do they say that I am? They say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say John the Baptist risen from the dead again. And then he says, this probing question, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up, says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the one that's to come that's going to flip the world upside down and that's going to come and rule and reign in peace and justice and harmony. You're going to bring every promise of God. You're going to bring it to bear and you're going to enforce this from Jerusalem. So Jesus says, oh my goodness, he's shocked. He's shocked that Peter got it. He said, whoa, blessed are you, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who's in heaven has revealed this to you. And so Peter's probably feeling pretty good about himself at this point. You ever, you ever done something spiritual and just started kind of feeling a little bit good about yourself? Peter kind of... <clears throat> so the very next movement in Scripture there, do you know what Jesus says? He says, okay, since you understand who I am, I can tell you what I'm going to do again. And he says, I'm going to be handed over into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified. But guys, don't get tripped up. Because this is exactly according to God's plan. And you know what? I'm going to be resurrected from the dead to never die again. But they can't hear that. Because they've already got an agenda worked out in their mind of how God ought to do everything. So Peter takes Jesus aside and has a heart-to-heart with him. He has a come-to-Jesus meeting with Jesus. Are you with me? You ever done that? So Peter, hey, uh, Jesus, come on in here. Uh, Close that door behind you. Yeah, just sit down right there. I'm going to need you to sit down. Jesus, I don't know how to break this to you, but all this cross-talk has just really got everybody up in arms. The disciples are feeling unnerved. Our crowds are shrinking. I really need you to get get this together, Jesus, because 
if you'll just drop that cross thing, then we can really go on and accomplish good things. See, Peter's trying to coach Jesus in what he ought to do. And for most of the church, I'm afraid that this happens all the time. Our prayer life is just us coaching Jesus on how to be good. Instead of Jesus just letting him reveal to us who he is and what he wants to do. So Jesus stands up, and it's so cool to see how immovable Jesus is. Because Jesus just looks at him in the face, and he doesn't say, get behind me, Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What he said previous. He says, get behind me, Satan, because you're operating in this satanic, fleshly way that can never hear the plans of God for your life. So what does that tell us? That tells us this, that the cross, without the cross, without a self-denial, without self-sacrifice, without us giving ourselves and dying a death to ourselves, we can never be raised again to the true plan of God and the purposes for our life. See, our lives are not just a little bit of God and then a whole lot of us. God is not an ingredient that you add to your life. He is the king. And so he comes in with his agenda, with his plans, with his purposes, and he sets them out, and he comes into your life in that way. And he will not change his mind. He will not change who he is to try to do something different or to do something according to your plan. He will continuously be himself and will not change. And the worst thing you can try to do with something that won't change is try to change it. And it's like, we think we can get Jesus in like this, put his arm behind his back and just kind of like, all right, change this. And he's like, I don't change. You change. But this is the plan that, that God had had from the beginning. So when Palm Sunday kicks off, this, this whole new thing begins to happen. Jesus had spent most of his time doing something com completely different. If you read in the Gospels and like he heals somebody or touches somebody, he rarely ever says, hey, now go tell everybody what I did. Right? Like he's like, don't tell anyone what happened to you. And then what do they do? I'm going to go tell everybody. <laughs> like, it's not like Jesus is playing a scheme here. Jesus is trying to protect his anonymity. He's trying to protect his identity. He's trying to position himself in such a way so that he can make it this long to get to this week that we're talking about right now. And when he gets to this Passion Week, he goes in and he begins to drop all the facades and all the stuff and he goes in as king. He declares himself as king of the universe, okay? And so this is how he does it, is he goes goes in right according to scripture Zechariah 9 9 and he goes in and he rides on a donkey and he comes into the city but he sends his disciples to prepare the way for him okay he sends the disciples in and tells them hey there's going to be a donkey it's going to be in this place I need you to get it if the guy begins to um, kind of trip on you just say uh, the Lord needs it and then he'll leave you alone 
So he's like, okay. So they go in, secret mission, spy mission. They unloose the donkey. Sure enough, hey, what are you doing there, pal? He's like, uh, the Lord needs it. Like, oh, okay, in that case, go, go, go on ahead. And so I thought about using that. I thought about if I was going to go steal a car, I would get in a car. And then when they look at and they say, hey, what are you doing? It's like, hey, the Lord needs it. And then, oh, okay, yeah, carry on, man. Go ahead, do the Lord's work, you know, and so we take off. But the disciples were preparing the way for Jesus to come. They were almost getting things ready. So when they grabbed that donkey, everybody in the city knew that something was about to be set off into motion, that Jesus was about to come in, that the Lord was about to come in, that the King was about to come in, that Messiah is about to ride in. So now the town's in a buzz. What town was this? This was Bethany and Bethphage. And so what happened there? Well, Lazarus was raised from the dead there. So they're like, the dead raising guys back. Let's go. There's gonna, he's coming in now. He's riding in. He's fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. Here comes the king. Everybody get ready. And so in Matthew 21, it tells us that they cut down palms and they, they begin to, to, to lay the road down with palms and they begin to wave the palms. And, and there's all this worship going on and they're saying, Hoshana, Hoshana. They're saying Psalm 118. Like this is coming to pass. The Lord is going to save us. The Lord is going to come. He's coming into his city. So there's all this praising and there's all this worship going on. And Jesus is coming in, riding just like he said in Zechariah. He's riding in on a donkey as he's coming in. Now, if you were coming back from a successful war campaign, you would come in on a white horse. Jesus is coming back on a donkey, and this is how King Solomon rode in. This is how kings rode in times of peace. So it's already counterculture because they're thinking, all right, here comes the warrior king's going to come in and drive out the Romans. Nope, he's riding in on a donkey. See, while they're all thinking it's wartime, Jesus is saying, no, nah, it's time for the king of peace to ride in to the city. So Jesus is riding in on this and there's all this stuff going on and then we find that the Pharisees are coming out and they come out and they go, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now here's the weird thing that happens here is because when the Messiah comes to town and you are in charge, suddenly you're going to be out of a job pretty soon. So when these Pharisees were, were kind of dug in and they were like, we have our temple, we have our rituals, we have our sacrifices, we have all that stuff. What do we need him for? And this is the thing that we can slip into so easily. That we can slip into this thing of like, we're self-sufficient. We just need Jesus just to do a little bit of things. We don't, we don't need him to come and take the place and to take our routine and to change our lives and to change the things. That we, we, don't, we don't need that. And so, so the Pharisees, so you got the crowd screaming, Hoshana, Hoshana, they're singing, Hosanna, God save us now, save us now. And then you have the Pharisees telling them, they're crying out, tell them to shut up. And then when you read on, Jesus is crying out. Bible says when he comes into the city, he starts weeping over the city. Saying, man, how I want it to move in their hearts. How I wish they were ready to receive me. Which shows us something here, right? We can be waving palms and shouting and not truly receiving Jesus as he is. And so he's, 
he's just beside himself and he's like, the day he's going to come where one stone isn't going to be on top of the other. See, the people of God had treated the temple of God like a lucky rabbit's foot. And I just want to tell you guys, just because you're coming to the temple doesn't mean you've got the one who is the temple. That God is not a lucky rabbit's foot. The people of Israel had had found safety in the fact that there was a building. But they had forgotten that the real house of God, the real meeting place of God was right in front of them. Jesus makes this statement to the Pharisees and He says, listen guys, if they don't cry out, the stones will cry out. Now when we hear that, we think those stones are just the pebbles that were by the wayside, but that's not what was going on. Jesus is pointing directly at the temple, saying if these guys don't shout, those are going to shout in judgment. If these don't praise, those are going to crumble and crack and fall. So there begins to become this idea of how do we bring the king into the city? How does the king come in? How does the king want to come in? And I want to submit to you that it wasn't in their idea that they had of the temple. In John chapter 2, John writes and tells a story where the disciples are walking by Herod's temple that he's building. And Herod's temple is this this huge, massive uh, undertaking. And and the people are so excited to have the temple being built again. And as they're walking by, the disciples look and say, Look, man, look at that. That is incredible. And Jesus is not impressed at all. Jesus says, Oh yeah, that'll be torn down in a day and then it'll it'll be built up in three. They look at Jesus and say, Jesus, it took 46 years to get the temple to there and they're still not finished. How in three days are you going to rise up again? See, this reformation or a switching was coming. And the switching of a new era where Jesus was the meeting place of God. Where Jesus is the place where the fullness of the Godhead was going to dwell bodily, fully, 100%. And while they were looking at a building, the building was right under their nose. There's something about these stones, because when Jesus said, not one stone's going to be upon another, some of these stones in Herod's temple were like 160,000 pounds. That's pretty big. Uh, Look to your neighbor. No, don't say that. Don't say that. Um, Huge. The smallest ones were several tons. That that was the foundation of this temple. And Jesus says, nah, not one of them will be on top of another. So it begins to beg the question of what's strong enough to bear the weight of God? What's strong enough to bear the glory of God in all His weightiness? You know what it is? A humble donkey. 
You want to know what will hold up the manifest presence of God? Something humble and lowly like a donkey. How did the presence of God get to Jerusalem? A donkey. We would have thought it would have been an impressive white stallion or we would have thought it would have been something other than that. But God has given us a key. If you want to come up under the weight of God and bear his presence, you better be humble. You got to be humble. Because God resists the proud, but he exalts the humble. So Jesus is riding in on this donkey and everybody's waiting and they're thinking, okay, we know right what he's going to do. He's going to go right down Main Street and when he goes down Main Street, he's going to take a right and he's going to go right into the Roman consulate's office and he's going to begin to turn over their tables. He's going to run Rome out and we're going to have a successful revolt. And Jesus, wouldn't you know it, Took a left instead of a right. How many of you, of you did he take a left instead of when you thought he was going to take a right? Yeah. I'm thankful for the left-hand turns of God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He goes in the most unexpected place and goes into the temple. And when he goes into the temple, he starts quoting Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah was a prophet that was declaring that they were going to go into exile, that the temple was going to be destroyed. And so he goes in with that same message and says that this was supposed to be a house of prayer for my father. This was supposed to be a house of communication with God. But you guys have turned it into a den of rebels. And he starts turning over tables. And do you know the very table that he turned over? It was the table of sacrifices in which the travelers that were coming in for Passover, it's where they would exchange their money, buy their sacrificial animal because they couldn't travel with it. It was too hard to travel with the animals. So they could buy them there. The people working the money changers would then mess up the exchange rate. If you've ever been in another country and you had to change your money in, sometimes they get you on that. You know what I'm talking about? Well, they were getting them in that. That used to be done outside on the roads, but then uh, Caiaphas, the priest, had moved it inside of the temple and had begun to partner with them so that they could rip off. But do you know the table that Jesus turns over? He goes right to the ones with the doves and pigeons. Right to the ones. And what was significant about that? Well, this was significant that if you couldn't afford a lamb, the law set up a sacrifice that you could use if you were poor and couldn't afford very much. And it was like this young pigeon or like this dove. So the house of God had turned into a place that took advantage of the poor. It had become a den of rebels. And Jesus turns over all the tables. And it's like, Jesus, what are, you, what are you doing? 
Like as soon as he went into town on the donkey, the disciples had to know in their mind, okay, he's fulfilling messianic prophecy. So he's either going to kick the Romans out or he's going to get killed. And I want to tell you something. When you're following Jesus, there's like two options. It's going to be revival or your life's going to be on the line. I'm just telling you here. The true Jesus is dangerous. He's not a safe Jesus. He's tender. He's humble. He's lowly. But he's nothing, he's nothing safe about him. That they have their ideas of what he's going to do waving palm branches. The Pharisees have their ideas of what he's going to do. But Jesus has a mission from God, his Father, and he's riding in. And he is unmoved by the opinions of others. He's unmoved by anything else that anyone would say. He has set his face like a flint to accomplish the purposes and the will of God for his life. And that is to go into the heart of Jerusalem and be murdered. Jesus, as they're coming in, the disciples know, whoa, this is going to get crazy. And they're probably hoping, man, I hope he goes in there and runs out the Romans. But instead he runs out the money changers and declares Jeremiah 7 again over that house. That Jesus is saying, no more sacrifices I want obedience and trust. And I am the new sacrifice. And that when this temple is torn to the ground and it looks like all hope is lost, God's going to raise up a new temple, a new meeting place for God. And that's going to be King Jesus. You can't blame them for being so upended because they had years of this idea with this temple and the sacrifices and the rituals and they had all these things. They had all these things in their mind that they felt like, man, this is how God's going to do it. And God comes in with a curveball <laughs> and does it completely different. But the only ones that are going to be worthy enough to bear the weight of God are going to be those that take the positions of donkeys. But that's the place where God chooses to land. Choose, chooses to be carried chooses to be moved. So if we want the glory of God here, if you want the glory of God in your life, 160,000 pound stones will crack under the pressure of His glory. But do you know what will hold the weight? A humble little donkey. <laughs> that will posture their hearts in a way that says, God, I'm going wherever you want to go. And it's that kind of humility 
God responds to. So I guess the question becomes, will we humble ourselves or will we not? Because the same Psalm 118 where they're shouting, God save us now. Further on in that, in that psalm is this, y'all probably remember this one, is this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So this is the day the Lord has made. What is that day? This is the day. That the stone of stumbling had become this stone of offense. Now here's what can happen. You can fall on this stone and be broken. Or you can have it fall on you and you turn to powder. And some of us have been tripping over the same old thing our whole life. And some of you are tripping over Jesus trying to get to the temple. Some of you have identified an offense that you keep stubbing your toe on and it's just Jesus saying, hey, I'm still here. Trying to slow you down. (laughs) But we're so in a hurry to get to our own place that even though we keep tripping over it, we won't stop. When God would say, the stone of stumbling, the stone of offense, the stone that you keep tripping on, why don't you stop and reconsider? Why don't you humble yourself and let the king descend down in all his glory? Come and rest on your life. Because Jeremiah, he was Jeremiah the prophet, he, he was something else. But there was a time he comes in in this illustrated sermon, and this is what the prophets did to make uh, kind of a spectacle, to make a statement. And he comes in with a yoke on his neck, and he says, the yoke of the Babylonians are going to be on you guys. Y'all need to submit and and just come up under their yoke, because this is going to happen. And another prophet, who's a false prophet, begins to hit him, knocks his yoke off, and then puts and says, there will be no yoke, that God's going to deliver us and everything else. But Jesus comes in as this new Jeremiah. And you know what Jesus says? Take this yoke upon us. (laughs) Because it's light. It's not burdensome. That the yoke that I'm going to put on you is not going to feel like this heavy weight. But the yoke that I'm putting on you is going to actually lift you up and give you strength. And it'll look like you're being tore down. It'll look like you're being crucified. But it'll end in resurrection. And you'll stand up as a new man or woman in God. Filled with the life of God. Able to bear the weight of everything. Why? Because you're bearing the weight of the glory of God. And that's the foundation God could build on.
Any donkeys in here? Hey, you're ready for God just to come down then. You're already acquainted with the fact. This is what God wants to do. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we just love you. God, we want, uh, we just want to surrender ourselves to you. You're so wonderful. God, we ask that we wouldn't miss our day of visitation. That among the shouts and the cheers and all that, that we could be missing your plan altogether, God. So, Lord, when you start talking about the cross, we don't want to put our fingers in our ears. We want to embrace that cross. Because <laughs> it looks like death, but it's really a resurrection. <laughs> it hurts to think of letting go of something old. To embrace something new because it's unfamiliar and unknown. But the new of God is always better than what we had. So God, we embrace the cross. We embrace the death to experience the life. So God, I pray that my friends here today, God, would have the courage to not shout with a palm branch but to change the position of their life and to let you get on them and begin to move them into the plans and purposes of God. God, let me just be a donkey that you can ride in on. Of all the characters in the story, that's the most glorious. It's the one that's bearing up you. God, let us bear up you. Let our whole life be built to hold your presence. And God, we're going to fall on you and be broken. We're not going to wait till judgment and you fall on us. We fall on you now and humble ourselves. Because everything that's broken. God, you put back together. God, it's broken vessels you put your glory in. Does it make sense? Broken things don't hold things very well, but that's just what you've chosen. Because it's supernatural to, for something that's broken to hold glory. <laughs> so that you might get the glory for it. We love you. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want to ask. If you're here and you say, man, I just need to humble myself and get my life right with God, I want you to put your hand up right where you're at. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.